The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Yeah, we're talking again after a win for the Reds. This feels good, doesn't it? I think this can become a habit if the players want to agree to it. We can be positive and nice and airy on the podcast again. We've got tons to get through. As always, it looks like Anthony is arriving. We need to react to that win over Southampton, preview the game against Leicester on Thursday as well, amongst other things. With us to do that. Uh, Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. Hello, gentlemen. But first of all, I think from all of us on the team, we want to say a big thank you to the brilliant reaction that we had last week to the video podcast uh, that we did on the morning after that win over Liverpool in the Bishop Blaze pub in the shadows of Old Trafford. We had a lovely morning uh, recording it and we hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for all your comments, uh, good and bad. We got some interesting feedback, shall we say, on YouTube about haircuts and jumpers and everything else in between as well. Uh, But if you've not watched it, of course, it's still on there. Just search for The Athletic on YouTube and you'll see the account up there with the two videos uh, that we did last week. And subscribe to it as well because we're planning on doing more as the season goes on. So, of course, that will be the best way to keep up to date with exactly what you're doing, including all our social media pages as well. Uh, But, Andy, we had a lot of fun doing that, didn't we? Yeah, it's good. And you can see by the feedback that people appreciate it and it's good to see everybody in person especially the morning after that great win against Liverpool nothing but but good feelings with it and I think a lot of people appreciated that format as well so maybe we can do it again in the, in the future I think we were podcasted out by the end of it because we'd done the previous one at midnight the night before and gone to got gone straight into it but we did it and much happier to do it having having won the match definitely Carl where did you get your jumper from <laughs> uh I picked that one up via thread I've, I well, use he, like he, an he online, doesn't just uh... play in the midfield he sorts you out with clothes as well that's incredible <laughs> not that Fred uh, he's man of many skills <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that I think there was about four or five messages about that jumper and it was um it was quite a popular aspect of, of that podcast Andy, one thing we didn't talk about actually, despite being podcasted out over those uh, those two pods on the Monday night and the Tuesday morning, uh, was your piece with Steve Kelly. Um, please stop singing about Hillsborough and Munich. And I don't really want the article or the moment to pass without reflecting upon it on the podcast. Um, a really poignant piece. If you've not read it, go and have a look on The Athletic. It's still up there at the moment. It's from uh, Monday before the Liverpool game. Um, a really interesting character, Steve, with an important message, Andy. Yeah, free to read for everybody as well, even if you're not a subscriber. Uh, Steve Kelly's brother died at Hillsborough and I'd not spoken to him before and I spoke to him for two hours. Just listened to him. What an incredible human, just telling me stories and about how he'd gone over there to, to identify his brother's body, wasn't allowed to touch it, sat at a desk as a policeman, had a Polaroid picture of his dead body, just spun it round in front of him and he just saw his, his brother there in, in, a, in a body bag. Police wouldn't let him kiss his brother. Just just read it because I can't do it justice talking about it. But, but post Hillsborough, how he came to meet Alex Ferguson, Bobby Charlton, Bobby Charlton's wife came up to him and said, you and my husband have got something in common, tragedy, and some of the friendships which happened. Um, just... I, I just listened. Uh, he, he he scattered his brother's um, ashes on the cop because Michael was obviously a Liverpool fan. He'd been at Hillsborough, uh, but Stephen's an Evertonian, and they go to games together. And uh, he thought, if I scatter his ashes on the cop, then Everton are never going to score at this end again. And he said, I'm happy to say, Andre Konchelski smashed the ball in. So he, even even in a really dark, saddening. Uh, conversation there, there were some moments of humor but one thing that really struck me was they both idolized George Best they loved George Best they traveled to Manchester to watch George Best they went to Goodison and Anfield because they loved George Best the fifth Beatle that's what they called him uh, Stephen is he was in my mind this bit is completely warped he even took satisfaction from Manchester United winning the European Cup in 68 because George Best wore blue, and that was somehow linked to Everton. But he's an intelligent man, and he's lived a real life, and I felt it was a real privilege to talk to him. And he just said how, how hurtful it is when he hears people singing about the Hillsborough disaster, which, in his words, has ruined his life. 
they give specific examples. His marriage broke down. And please don't do it. Not just Munich and Hillsborough. Don't, don't sing about tragedy. There's real life consequences here. A lot of the people who are singing some of these songs, they weren't even born. And he just said, I hope that by speaking to you, one person thinks about it. Because it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting that he no longer goes to football matches because he doesn't want to hear songs trivialising his, his brother dying. And he's upset because he's saying Munich was terrible for Manchester United, just as Hillsborough was for for Liverpool as well. Read it, form your own opinion of it. From my perspective, it was an honour to speak to, to Steve Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for doing it, Andy, as well. And like you say, the piece is up there on The Athletic at the moment if you want to go and have a read. Very thought-provoking, to say the least. Um, OK, let's talk about Southampton then, Carl. You were there. And Manchester United somehow managed to grind out a victory. Hard-working display on the South Coast. Are you sure this is Manchester United? <laughs> uh, yeah, for once. It wasn't a one-all draw at St Mary's in August, eh, Andy? Yeah, I'll hold my hands up there. I, I was convinced it was going to be a draw, which would have been progress because we'd lost the last seven away from home. Yes. Delighted to be wrong. Yeah, so it's the first away victory from Manchester United since February. That is ridiculous, isn't it? And the first time Manchester United have won back-to-back games in the Premier League since February as well. Um, it was a gritty performance. I was surprised at how the goal came about. It was one of those really nice sweeping passing moves where you can really begin to see the seeds of, of what Ten Hag wants this football team to do. Um, but also you can see much of the same frailties that you saw in Manchester United all through last season. I think I saw a tweet at full time saying this was one of those games that maybe Ralph Rangnick would have lost 2-0 but then made some sort of press conference revealing about the uh, you know who has a driving licence among the Man United team or something or other. I think that that's the sort of result. Like, yeah, it wasn't pretty, but it was a nice goal, and we know what's happening next. Uh, Ten Hag used the term "work in progress," and I think that's a very good description of Manchester United at this point in time. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Carl, as well. Actually, one of the uh, key words that I read and heard quite a lot. I wasn't at Southampton, unfortunately, but people who were there, like yourself, determination. There was a real determination about that team to get the job done, and actually. Um, it was only listening to people say that word or, or reading that word that made me think, yeah, that's actually been an ingredient that's really been missing at times. Yeah, something that struck me after Liverpool, or during the Liverpool game, was the Sandra Martinez and Rafael Varane sort of cheering after they made blocks in that, you know, Serie A defending sort of way of like, yeah, we, we made a block. And I went, oh, I haven't seen Man United players do that in a bit. Uh, and something that struck me in the Southampton game was uh, Malassia, the, you know, Brand new left back. He's I'm really sorry. I'm going to point out his height. He's five foot six. It's not uh, been referenced as much as someone else that we won't it's mention. It's not. It's not. Uh, he's five foot six, and he is a little bit raw. He, he made two or three mistakes. But what really struck me about Malassia against Southampton was if he made a mistake, he'd be immediately back up and sprint back and go and fix it. Which was again something that we haven't always seen from Manchester United the last twelve months. Um, there is a, a grit to a number of the players. I'm not going to say all of them. A number of the players at Man United now, which I'm, I'm finding quite pleasing. Andy? Another three points on top of Liverpool uh, to correct. Well, not correct, but to counter those first opening um, defeats. Came after a champion... Um, I said it, nearly said Champions <laughs> League, didn't I? When I meant Europa League. 50p in the pot for that. You would never get a Champions League draw as interesting as Manchester I United knew that you'd be excited game. about this prospect <laughs> of going to Transinister and Nicosia and wherever else. Like a child <laughs> on Christmas Day. Sociedad's fine, isn't it? But those oh, that's are the quite one. random. Right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll correct you now on Sociedad. It's not, they're not called Sociedad. Everyone calls them Sociedad. That means society. If you want to not call them Real Sociedad, it's La Real, not Sociedad. Okay, I didn't know that. All right. Then you pop him your 50p's in the pot from is now Sociedad on. Is Sociedad not a place? Sociedad means society. So it's not actually a place? It's a place of San Sebastian. No, the, the city is San Sebastian um, or Donostia in so Basque, because it's in the Basque country. <laughs> yeah, keep that in. <laughs> is London a place? It's in Spain though, isn't it? It's in the Basque country, which is in Spain, and it's one of the most beautiful cities in Europe, and... 
it will be the third time Manchester United have played them uh, since 2013. We couldn't go to one of them because it was during COVID times. Great place to go to. Maybe not so great in November. Moldova, brilliant. So why are they called the Royal Society, Andy? What, what's the reason behind it? Well, there are several teams in Spain, this podcast going on a tangent straight away, <laughs> which call themselves Real. There's um, Real Valladolid, for example. There's a team in Madrid called Real Madrid. <laughs> People might know them as well. And that means royal. And San Sebastian, because it's so beautiful, was often a place where the Spanish royal family took their holidays. But yeah, some clubs are allowed to, to call themselves. Real Zaragoza is another one. Um, there are a certain Real clubs in, in Spain. So yeah, that, that's the story with them. And, and they're a great club. They've got a, they've got a good team. They've rebuilt the stadium since we last went there. And uh, all good. Moldova, the only European country I've not been to apart from San Marino. There you go. So I'm absolutely buzzing off that. And then we've got Cyprus as well. Ammonia, a little bit less buzzing because uh, I know Henning, Henning Berg and he just left them a few months ago. Oh, really? He has indeed, yeah. But now they're managed by Neil Lennon. But there you go, I'm thinking it as it Well, it would have been nice for United fans to get the Cyprus trip or the Northern Spain trip when the weather was still nice as well, but those two matches are, are later on in the year, aren't they? So it's Cyprus could be okay. Yeah, is that October um, that one? Yeah, Cyprus could. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's early October. Cyprus, Cyprus should still be nice. But but back to Southampton, just great to see United win, keep a clean sheet. Um, the defense praise once again. So I think your you standouts from those two wins were Martinez and Varane already looking really stable at centre half. Bruno's finish was fantastic. About time he scored. Because he missed really good chances against Brighton, uh, against Brentford as well. And and Carl said it was gritty. It was gritty, but sometimes you've got to pull them out. Uh, Scott McTominay was not man of the match, but I thought he had another good game. And I thought, um, speaking to my tactical man, and he said he would drop back to help the defence, um, which meant United were numerically superior. Um, when Southampton were pushing against the low block, and that gave Manchester United an extra man. And uh, don't think Scott McTominay will be starting all the time, but thought he had a decent, decent game. Thought Southampton, several Southampton players were fantastic. Yeah, good to see. I think I think Scott McTominay will end up playing more matches than you would expect for United this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you say that, Carl? He's 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 tall. <laughs> I know I should have a clever reason for this, but and I, I, again, I'm, I feel really bad if you're if you're not six foot and you're listening to this podcast. But Manchester United need height. Unlucky, Larry. Had uh, to get there. Sorry. <laughs> Manchester United need height, uh, and yes, I don't think Scott McTominay had a particularly great game. He was okay at receiving the ball. His distribution of the ball, yeah. Um, but he is uh, he's over six foot. Manchester United need an aerial presence when defending set pieces and when those balls come in. And if Casemiro does come in to the starting up, which I'm, is, is, is going to be sooner rather than later, they, they are going to need more six-footers, which is quite funny when you consider how not too long ago, when Mourinho was the manager, nearly everyone at Man United was over six-foot. But now things have changed just a little bit. Yeah, I remember that semi-final at Celta Vigo in the Europa League in 17, speaking to a couple of Spanish journalists who don't watch United every week. And that was probably the strongest Mourinho side. And, and he, they were just struck by how tall they were. The Man United looked really powerful, tall. Sort of a hallmark of the good Mourinho teams, to be fair. The, the, the very good Chelsea side that he built first time around was, was the same, wasn't it? It was quality footballers, but... but a lot of tall people about. Um, Carl, your piece focused on the midfield for Manchester United in that game, and in particular Bruno Fernandes. People can go and read it on The Athletic now if they want to take a deeper dive into it. But it's sort of like one sentence is praise and the next sentence is criticism, and then it goes round again. And (laughs) the idea that he's a player trying to make things happen is the premise of it, but how he makes it happen and exactly what things he tries to do that... is definitely interesting. It's definitely a conversation to be had right now, isn't it? Yes. And you know, first 10 minutes of the game, Bruno Fernandes basically mucks up two very good counterattacks for United. Uh, and it seemed as if United wanted to, to play in wide areas to avoid the, the pressing triggers and the traps that Southampton were trying to do. Uh, but the idea was if you got into space and if Jaden Sancho was running down the left 
or, or Antoninga was the running on the right. The idea was, you know, play it wide, get the ball into Bruno and then spray it wide. Uh, and Bruno missed a really good chance to play in Jaden Sancho in five minutes in. And then 90 seconds afterwards, he Bruno Fernandes does this thing where he will very clearly make a decision based on whether or not his previous decision went well or went badly. So you, you could see it, the cogs turning. He sort of went, oh no, I missed the pass. I missed the pass to Jaden Sancho. I've got the ball now. I'm going to try and score and like make up for it. And you're like, no, mate, don't don't try and lob the Southampton keeper from 50 yards out. That's not going to... Oh, he's done it. Uh, and similarly, after he scored, he had a sort of five-minute period where he just started running everywhere. And you go, no, just stay in the middle. Uh, I described Bruno Fernandes a little bit. Bruno Fernandes, after he scored a goal and made a good pass, is a bit like a dog that's got a treat and now wants to get another treat immediately afterwards, and will do the same thing in front of you. And you go, just just chill out. Just chill out. Ten Hag seems very pleased with Fernandez. He was asked about him in the press conference afterwards, and he says Fernandez brings good energy on and off the ball and is, has an ability to create. Something I also find quite interesting is that Ten Hag has twice now, this bank holiday weekend, uh, said that he believes Bruno Fernandez is better when he's the captain. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. I think that's been very pointed, hasn't it, Andy? Yeah, I spoke to him pre-season in Melbourne about leadership. I'll get it up on the Athletics soon, but he had some really interesting uh, thoughts about that. Bruno needed that, and United fans were singing, Bruno, 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 he's from Sporting like Cristiano. Sounds wonderful. I think he's a top player, and he's regressed from that really, really high level he, he set himself at when he first joined. Uh, Manchester United but he should be one of the best players in, in the Premier League uh, and I know that he's happy about some of the signings who've come in as well so if we're seeing a, a Bruno who's who's scoring who's assisting uh, my one doubt about the Southampton performance were the performances of the players up front uh, granted Bella Kotchap tackled Ilanga at one point superbly uh, it wasn't easy for Sancho against Walker Peters either um, but I think the praise should be on the, the players who, who were further back from there. But I just felt win a win was a win there. Three points, um, which United have struggled to do against Southampton. And suddenly you go to Leicester and you're thinking, Leicester are, are wobbling a bit. And you're so much more confident of getting a result at Leicester. And if United can make it three wins, then whoa, we're into territory we've not been into for a long time. Winning three games. Winning three games, yeah. I, I tweeted after 38 minutes. This is a really sad, desperate tweet. This is the first time since February that United have got to 38 minutes in an away game without conceding a goal. Jeez. Blimey. I mean, it's pathetic, isn't it? That's how bad it's been. <laughs> it's absolutely pathetic. And then you're sort of celebrating these micro-achievements, getting to half-time, not being down. And, and I said on the pod after Brentford a few weeks ago, the most enjoyable part of watching United for me is at kickoff because at least the team aren't aren't behind. But now <laughs> after Southampton and Liverpool, Manchester United have found a nice place. And with Anthony coming in, if that's all finished off, this is a club back in the manager. I think it's been a really good week or so for Eric Ten Hag. He made massive decisions and was vindicated by them. Now he can call on Casemiro as well. For he he did well in that sort of nice ten or eleven minutes that he came on. All is happy again in the world of Manchester United. Semi-happy. Yeah, for the time being at least, I'm sure. Um, if you want to read Carl's take on United's win over Southampton and the role in particular that Bruno Fernandes played in it, you can read that on The Athletic right now. There's also some great stuff on Anthony on there as well, who we'll talk about in just a moment. But remember, you can subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up for full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast as well. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Do you like Formula One, but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. 
If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, it's time for this. I got my mind set on you. I got my mind set on you. I got my mind set on you. Got my mind set on you. Yeah, so I'm guessing everyone at home, and actually us three included, thought that we were past hearing George Harrison on repeat on every single podcast. But um, it's a nod to Elliot McDermott. Now, bear with me while I explain this. Uh, Elliot tweeted, um, I think earlier on today, actually, wanted to ask at Laurie Whitwell about De Jong signing probability, but I thought the all points East urinals wasn't the right time. Close, though. Brilliant. Absolutely love that tweet. If anyone's wondering what all points East is, it's a, it's a music festival in London. Um, and indeed, if there's any questions that you would like to ask Andy, Carl, me or Laurie that you would pose in that, location at a urinal please let us know keep them clean obviously but i'd love to know whatever things people would like to ask us while we're stood at a urinal i think that's great i got some anthony questions from a talk of the devils listener at southampton train station on a sunday it's still that's still random yeah okay a very a very nice and a very nice gentleman not the toilets old carl yeah not the toilets not the toilets i was just simply waiting for for you know reading the platform side and, and a very nice gentleman walked up to me uh, mouth something i sort of took out my headphones i went what and he went are you carl anchor i went please don't hate me yeah uh, and then we had a little chat about man united and he, he did indeed ask me about anthony and asked me the status of the anthony deal uh, and i sort of went well you know yeah so again if there's any random questions you'd like to ask us stood at your urinal please let us know um we need to talk about anthony so let's get an update then from the man who's been writing about it on the athletic here's laurie Hi guys, so on Sunday afternoon, early evening, Manchester United reached agreement with Ajax for the transfer of Anthony for a fee of €95 million Euros guaranteed with €5 million Euros add-ons, taking the price to €100 million Euros overall, which is the price that Ajax wanted at the start of this latest round of talks when United reignited them with that €80 million Euro bid that was rejected, came back with €90 million Euro bid, rejected, and now that €100 million Euro fee that Ajax have got. Because it's late in the window, they didn't want to sell Anthony. They didn't have loads of time to find a replacement. And clearly, Eric Ten Hag has been pushing for this one. So the fee has gone up and up. It takes it to about £85 million overall, which is one of the United's most expensive transfers. United will say he's a 22-year-old, very technical, can totally fit into what Eric Ten Hag wants. Pressing from the front, aggression as well and, and character. He obviously went on strike to get this move sorted, um, which shows, I suppose, his level of desire to play for Manchester United, which is something that I think will appeal that being said, they did hold talks at the start of the summer where Anthony was you know, a possibility for, for United, certainly on the list. But Ajax had uh, a lesser fee than they've accepted now. United had other targets in mind at that point, Frankie de Jong being the prime one. And clearly that one's not happening now. So money has been made available to a different part of the pitch. But yeah, let's see. He's an expensive acquisition, but one that Eric Ten Hag absolutely wants. Oh, I like Laurie's serious transfer voice, Andy, don't you? Yeah, it's relevant. People are asking questions about Anthony. I think there's a lot of people who want to know what's he like. And I think there's a lot of enthusiasm because he's an attacking player and they look at his clips and they're excited by it. Uh, I've watched him play live, I think, three times. I asked some professional scouts this, this weekend about him. Um, broadly positive. One or two doubts that his, his goal-scoring stats are not that good for a team that have been winning the league. Uh, and, and given the fee, not that not that he chooses the fee. Um, I saw some other stuff, which I was told was completely not true. Somebody saying um, Edwin Van der Sar has got involved with the transfer for the first time. He never normally does that. I was with an agent at the time. He just said that's absolute nonsense. He's, he's involved in every big IX transfer at, at some point. Um, great. I think IX fans are really annoyed. Really annoyed. Um, because they've got almost no time to find a replacement. Mm, they kind of do. Well, I was in the company of another agent at the weekend who was lining up a player. It, it was like a chain reaction. Yeah. If Anthony moved 
And you're thinking these agents are like four, four ahead. Well, I signed Francisco. I'm going to get his surname wrong. Uh, so Francisco Coetzal from Porto. He's 19 years of age, right winger. So there is a body you can immediately slot in and play right wing for Ajax. Uh, I will have a piece on Anthony going up on the website. I think it'll go out on Tuesday morning. So if you listen to this tomorrow. Carl, Carl, I'm going to ask you the question. It's very expensive, isn't it? It's very expensive. There's no way around it. I described it as a foolishness tax on Manchester United uh, in that you, you didn't get your work done early, early enough in the season. The Fellaini tax. Yeah. The way, the way I keep describing it is when I've got to get a train early in the morning and I wake up and I haven't charged my phone and I have to go off to the train station, WH Smith, spend 40 quid on a phone battery. There's a fee involved in this that you probably shouldn't be spending, but you're doing it because you're doing it in late August instead of doing it in early July. Part of that is because Ajax don't need to sell. They don't need the money. What what are they going to do with the money? They don't need it. They've already got a strong team. That, that, I think you know, they tweeted they can... that the money that they'd receive for Martinez and, and, and Anthony would end up being more than their annual turnover. Yep, it was 120... I think their annual turnover was something around about 127 million euros in uh, 2021. And, and Manchester United, just for Martinez and, and, and Anthony, has surpassed that. And, and again, both of those players are... I think the interesting thing about these deals, and I'm including Martinez in this, is they are, you know, I don't, when the season started, or when the summer transfer window started, I didn't think Manchester United needed to buy another centre-back. I thought, you know, Maguire, Varane, uh, some combination of buy and a possible return, Axel Twins, maybe slash Phil Jones would have been enough, as long as you just spent loads more money in defensive midfield. And I also thought, you didn't really need to buy another right-sided attacker because you've got Jaden Sancho there and you're better off saving your big money for your centre-forward and then spending a little bit of money on a right-back. Whereas Ten Hag has viewed this squad differently compared to most Manchester United fans and pundits elsewhere. I'll probably end up writing all this up in the Athletic soon. But he spent to spend this much money in areas that most of us didn't think were the big areas shows that Ten Hag wants to do something different with Manchester United. And that makes me happy and sad uh, so I mean luckily you know they beat Liverpool and they, and they beat Southampton and, and they're doing things that I didn't expect a Manchester United team to do before but I do have that sort of should we buy a right back I think we should still buy a right back I, I wonder Andy as well how much of it's like buying characters buying the types of personalities that, that he feels this squad needs because obviously working up close with Martinez you can see clearly what he's added from a from a, a mentality perspective and whether Anthony's going to do the same and just that little bit of flair as well that the little clips that have been going around I've not seen a great deal of Anthony I'm not going to say that I have or lie in any way shape or form but I know everyone looks good on YouTube <laughs> clips but it's more the way he holds himself uh, and and some of the the tricks and flicks and things like that. If he can bring that to Old Trafford, he's going to be a popular guy. He'll be hugely popular guy. You say characters. He knows them. Managers tend to bring the players in who they know and they trust. Malassia's character looks really good from the the first glimpses that we've seen as well. Uh, Martinez, I'd agree with that. Is is already showing that he's made of um, pretty certain stuff. Uh, Casimiro, when I've spoke to multiple people about him, they speak of his professionalism, about his character. One person said to me yesterday, who's not a Real Madrid fan, wonderful player, 10 years in Spain and not a single red card, despite playing in the position where you, you'd be more likely to pick up a, a red card. So teams win matches. And I think there's been too many individuals at Manchester United in recent years. And United have collectively underperformed um, add all these names which on paper look great but football's not played on paper and the the early signs are good with his recruitment all it would take would be four straight defeats for people to be saying why we're we bringing players in from the Dutch division you know people will be digging around <laughs> for 100 million euros yeah. yeah people will be digging around you know who's his agent why has he got into his head that sort of stuff so it's all dependent on the mood but after a couple of wins um would you be stunned if Malassia started against Leicester at left back? No, he no. will. He will, and won't he? Why doesn't start again? No, not not again. So the early signs on his recruitment as players and as characters are positive. I suppose now 
the next question is any more for any more. We're just a few days of the window left. We'll talk about Martin Dubravka in a moment. Uh, but Andy, you were scouting at Barcelona, weren't you? T- having a look at their bench, see if there's anyone of interest. I've seen Frankie de Jong on the bench, as I said he would be, four weeks ago, thinking you had a great chance there, but it's his decision. It's got to be respected. Um, Aubameyang is quite interesting because... Really? Yeah, they would definitely sell him. So there was noises linking him to Manchester United. Those noises came out of Catalonia rather than Crumpsall. Nice. And people close to, to the player. I think United's stance on him is we're being kept abreast of developments as opposed to we're actively interested in him. But I think if you said to Eric Tenag, would you like a number nine now? He would say yes, especially if Cristiano is going to go. Even that number nine? I watched Robert Lewandowski and I just thought, whoa, that is a number nine. That is a proper world-class number nine, looks like a leader, grafting his backside off. Whoa, that is a, a brilliant player. So Aubameyang, I know Barca would sell him. I know for a fact they would, despite what they might be saying, but they want proper money on him. And then they could turn around and say, we got him for Arsenal for next to nothing, and we've sold him for a huge profit, and Planet Barca's heading in the right direction. Uh, Memphis Depay, who's known as Memphis in Catalonia, was also on the bench. Seeing his name linked out and about as well. Barca still need to sell players because they didn't sell Frankie de Jong. Have we discussed that on the podcast? Not much, about no. Frankie de Jong. Not much, no. Um, so, yeah, they need money in the bank. <laughs> Memphis fascinates me, right, Carl? And I probably shouldn't admit this in public because people start questioning it, but I actually quite would like him to come back. And it's not, it's not a comment about tactics necessarily. It's not a comment about how he'd fit into the team or anything like that. I just felt like when he left, there was like so much more that he could have been and there was all the ill-advised cowboy hat Rolls Royce <laughs> things for reserve games and whatever else. But I remember vividly one of his first matches for Manchester United. Was it against Club Bruges, I want to say? The hat trick. Yeah, and he was sat on the floor in the interview room after the game. He looked devastated. He had his head in his hands, he was shaking his head and he was sat literally at my feet. And I remember asking him, What's wrong? And and he couldn't get a miss out of his head. I was like, mate, like you've just had an absolutely ridiculous game. Like, what are you worried about? I said, nah, should have been better. Should have been better. And it really stuck with me that moment. And maybe part of that shows how he should be just happy that what he's done and 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 forget about the game and push on and move on to the next bit and not be obsessed with this this one moment. And I admit it is literally a, a very small microcosm of his football career or even his time at United. But it really stuck with me and. You know, when there was the rumours about him maybe coming back, part of me thought, yeah, I'd actually like to see that and I'd be intrigued to see how it went as well. Yeah, I've, I I too have a little soft spot for Memphis. One thing that struck me was when, when Rooney announced his retirement, Memphis put a post on Instagram and it was, I think it was a photograph of Rooney and, and him on, on the sort of subs bench and he apologised to Rooney. He said, I really wish I could have brought more of myself when we played together. And uh, I have read Memphis's autobiography. It's called Heart of a Line. It is unintentionally quite funny and also very intentionally quite moving. When, when you read up about Memphis's life story and particularly like a real, really difficult childhood, um, was bullied a lot, a lot of uh, familial strife as well. And there's some really interesting bits about his time at Manchester United. And essentially, there's absolutely zero pastoral care given to him when he when he arrives at Manchester United he, he turns up he uh, is recommended to live in Cheshire where, where a number of the bigger Manchester United players are uh, but he's a 20 something year old youngster he's a single man he, he likes the nightclubs at this point in time of his life that's probably why they wanted him out in Cheshire to be fair Carl yeah probably uh, <laughs> but uh, so he asks his best mate to to move with him uh, and says you, you can be my driver so and, and the chapter in the books basically describe two 20-something-year-old men who can't cook in this massive empty house in Cheshire, and they're just eating loads of takeaways. Memphis, to his credit, is and always will be a massive gym rat. There's a section in there about how, I think ever since the age of 15, he does 100 stomach crunches a day because he read Cristiano Ronaldo did it. He says, I want to do it because Ronaldo did it, and I also want to do it because if I have a really nice body, I can get loads of endorsement deals, which is that unintentional hilarity that is Memphis. Uh, yeah, he he's had a really interesting development in that he's he's changed his body and he's changed his game and he's become not so much the right winger that he was when he when he was at Man United, but he's become more of a a very ball centric centre forward. So maybe 
I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't hate it. I'll put it that way. I, I wouldn't either. He's 28. He's got regrets about his time in Manchester. When he first came, I went to Eindhoven. I spoke to loads of people about him. Got the most glowing reviews. Didn't work out for him. And I heard some pretty cringeworthy stories about when he was in Manchester. I get his point about not living in the city centre. Jordi Cruyff was baffled by that when he moved from Barcelona and was putting his words in a big house surrounded by old people in Cheshire. And he's like, I'm quite capable of looking after myself and going for a coffee in, 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 in a city centre. And he found it bizarre. And there was a trend for players to move into the city centre. But it's actually going back the other way, I think, now. Memphis has started the first three games on the bench. So this is why we're seeing this now. He had the small boots to fill of Lionel Messi last season when he came from Lyon. I went to Lyon in 18 to interview one of his teammates. So what's he like? And the person said to me, good player, bit of a... And I went, a knob? And he went, So you could see he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, He started really well at Barca last year. He scored eight times in his first 16 games, which isn't Messi level. But for a struggling team, was good. And it's exciting when he got on the ball. He really was. I think he's, he's, he's a decent player. I've got no evidence that... He's going to Manchester United, but I'll put a few calls in and find out if that's the case. The one I did ask about was Aubameyang and Frankie de Jong. Obviously, it wouldn't be right to not ask about him. And I think we'll still be asking about him in January and maybe next summer and perhaps a January and summer after that. But let's talk about one player who does look like he could well be heading to Manchester United and that's the Newcastle goalkeeper Martin Dubravka. Here's an update from Chris Woff from the Pod on the Time. Manchester United do want them. They seem to be preferring a loan with an option. Newcastle would like a permanent or a loan with an obligation. I think Howe is a little bit frustrated by the whole situation. He he keeps saying it's not my decision. And he keeps saying I, I prefer not to lose any players, which seems a little bit unrealistic given that he has four senior keepers and has too many players. So he really does need to move one of them on. But I think he would prefer if it wasn't Dubravka really given the experience that he has. Yeah, that's Chris Waff from the Pod on the Time, which is the Athletics Newcastle podcast, of course. Um, Carl, interesting move this. Obviously, it's competition for De Gea rather than... Well, is it competition for De Gea or is it just a backup goalkeeper? I, th- I guess that's probably actually the, the, the point of the discussion that is the most pressing. I think a 6 or one half a dozen of the other. Uh, I'm going to be a bit mean here to Tom Heaton, but say, if you want to rest David De Gea for Europa League games and League Cup games and FA Cup games, you might need a goalkeeper better than Tom Heaton. So it, it makes sense that they want someone in, in that gap there. Dubravka as a goalkeeper is not quite the modern style of goalkeeper that Eric Ten Hag will want in 2023. So it it, it just it feels like a stopgap. Um, again, I don't hate it, but it doesn't move me. Andy, does it move you? I think Manchester United are obsessed with goalkeepers from the Czech Republic or Slovakia, so not surprised at all, based on nationality, that they've signed him. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, making light of it, but I, I think Carl's point is actually right. I think Tom, Tom Eatons is, is, a, is a good professional and a good lad, and he's popular. Is he the level that Sergio Romero was when he was widely regarded as the best number two Probably not. I don't think United have ever hidden their intentions of bringing in uh, another goalkeeper uh, since uh, Dean Henderson decided that he, he, he wanted to get off. And I also think it's good for David De Gea because he probably feels um, that there's no real, real competition for him. And I, and I say that with the greatest respect to Tom Heaton. OK, that's one to keep an eye on then, a move for Dubravka. Remember, you can keep right up to date with all the latest and all the transfer news for Manchester United in the remaining days of this summer transfer window by subscribing to The Athletic. You can do that for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Mark Chapman and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish and French counterparts combined and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. 
Okay then, just a couple of bits to wrap up before we finish. Uh, first of all, Carl, what chance Cristiano Ronaldo's back in the starting lineup for this Leicester match? And if he's not, that'll be three matches in a row that he's been on the bench. I don't want to make this podcast all about Ronaldo again because we've talked about him a lot. Um, but with just a few days of the window left, it just still needs clearing up, really, doesn't it? In a sense. Yeah, yeah. In the post-match press conference, Ten Hag was asked about Cristiano Ronaldo and whether or not that performance against Southampton was the last time fans would have seen him at United shirt. And Ten Hag said, well, we planned with him and, and we plan to see that. He was then pressed on that question and asked, do you think Ronaldo will stay past September? And there was a pronounced pregnant pause. It was sort of a one, two, three, uh, to which Ten Hag simply offered a, I hope so. The situation feels quite odd in that no one appears to want to take total responsibility for what happens next. Ken Hag doesn't appear to to put on a, a clear indication as to whether or not he wants to keep him or not. Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't appear to, to make a clear indication as to whether or not he wants to stay or go, at least until this you know, two-week, 195%, thing is well known as well. What I will say is, he didn't look great against Southampton. Yeah, this, the cameo he had, there were two noticeable moments where he was caught by Southampton's very young uh, centre-backs. And it was really noticeable. Really? And I mean really noticeable how Mohamed Salusu retreated back 25 yards and caught him. And I went, oh, Ronaldo doesn't normally look this old. There are good footballing reasons for him to not start against Leicester City. I also wouldn't be surprised if Ten Hag played him and said it's a question of rotating your squad. When we did the pod last week, I heard more towards him staying. If you if you ask me now, do you think he'll stay? I'd heard more towards him going. Really? That's just because as a journalist, I speak to... Yeah, I would, yeah. Where? Um, I don't know where, but I speak to lots of different people because it's my job to do that as a journalist. And the feeling I've got back from people in the last few days is that the... there might be a club for him. I don't know what that club is. Uh, I know that there was some relief that... United did well against Liverpool, against Southampton without him starting there. Uh, if his wages came off the wage bill, then that would help Manchester United as well. We're, we're running out of time now, but the facts are he wants to go or has wanted to go. Yeah. And he's been hawked around to probably 19, 20 different clubs in this close season and none of them have bit to the level that they can take him. Wow. I found it quite funny how before before kickoff against Southampton, he had that little moment where he squirted water on Rio Ferdinand, which is, again, you know, as as Laurie mentioned, for the Liverpool game when he went over to talk to, to Roy Keane and avoided Jamie Carrick. That's Ronaldo's tiny this little... This will go viral. It is, yeah, it I'm is. getting people's heads here. It's that yeah. tiny little, I might not be starting, but I'm still, still going to keep myself front of view. Yeah. Which, you know, if you're Cristiano Ronaldo... Yeah, you're a brand. You're not just a football player. You're a brand. You're an entity. And there's good business sense to keep yourself at the forefront of people's minds. By the way, Rio Ferdinand deserved to have his shoes sprayed water on with that combo that he had with the trousers <laughs> and, and the top as well. He looked like a member of uh, Eric Ten Hag's extended family with all those notes of cream in one outfit, Andy. Yeah, that, we were struck by that, weren't we? Coming out of uh, Old Trafford late last night. There's like a herd of people wearing um, cream. Must obviously be uh, big in fashion in uh, the colour of orange. Interesting this with Ronaldo. We're squeezing this in right at the end of the podcast and I didn't expect Andy to say that. So I'm sort of riffing off it a little bit, Carl. But I mean, United can't afford to let Ronaldo go and not replace him, can they? If it is more likely that he leaves, it's going to have to be likely that they get another body in to replace him, surely. I am pulling a face and I'd say now that Anthony's services have been brought in so Anthony I'm going to imagine Anthony's going to be the right sided attacker and Jaden Sancho will probably be your starting left sided attacker Anthony Martial I think his injury record is getting to the point where you can't trust him so if Ronaldo leaves and you don't bring in a replacement your starting striker is Marcus Rashford and the backup's Garnacho. you probably need to get someone else in I think if he if he goes then United would have budget to bring in a striker. Enough time. They'd have budget, but enough time. Well, I mean, you just got to allow free lawyers to turn up <laughs> somewhere in Madrid, haven't you? Yeah. Sorry, don't read too deeply into that. That was just when Ander Herrera nearly signed. Look, we've we've seen frantic transfer days in the past, and there might there might be another one. Yeah, and there's the small complication of actually playing Leicester 
on transfer deadline day. Now, I know that it won't be the players or necessarily the manager who are in the negotiations, but does that complicate matters at all, Andy, that United are likely to be playing football for the majority of the evening <laughs> of the final day of the window? It's not ideal, but you know, John Murta's not starting up front for Manchester United, is he? So the, the club can multitask. Hmm. The club have, have got a whole list of, of names. <laughs> okay, you're right, Carl, to say that. That was me. In, in, in theory... In, in theory, the club can, can multitask. Um, United have, have been speaking to agents throughout the summer. Uh, they will have their priority list. They still do. Some of, some of the uh, players who they've spoken to and said that they want to join, the deals are not completely dead there either. So look at it like a fire. Sometimes a fire is burning and Anthony, Anthony, that's the man at the moment. And then other times it dims right down, but it's, it's not been extinguished yet. I will just be glad as a journalist when the transfer window is over because it does very strange things to otherwise rational human beings. Carl's got his thumbs up as well. I'm not sure my editors would agree with me, but I'm entitled to my opinion. Absolutely, and you're sticking to it, I'm sure. Um, we will be recording another Talk of the Devils podcast after that Leicester game. Uh, we'll probably actually potentially be recording as the transfer window shuts, so it feels like that's going to be an interesting podcast already, no matter what happens on the pitch at the King Power Stadium. Uh, there is one issue to tidy up, actually, and this is the prospect of, of maybe Casemiro starting... Uh, the match against uh, Leicester, getting his full Premier League debut in the match on Thursday. Um, Sharper-eared listeners might have noticed uh, a certain voice interviewing Casemiro uh, on the clips that went around last week. So if you've not heard it yet, listen to this. Asogando en los mejores estadios en el mundo, en el Maracaná, o los gran estadios en, en Brasil, no, en, en Sao Paulo, en el Bernabéu, en el, en el Camp Nou, y ahora Inglaterra. ¿Cuáles son tus expectaciones y equipo, ejemplo? Es lleno para cada partido para 30 años. Bueno, uh... um, Andy... I was very impressed with your Spanish. I shouldn't be considering how well you can speak it and the fact that you actually live in Spain. But it did remind me of this. What? I know about the B team. I know some of the players. Don't be. They have been training with me, dodge, tres, cuatro uh, times. <laughs> but I've not seen them play. But, but actually, more so, it reminded me of this. I sort of knew when I came here and uh, Champions League. You. Uh, Give Liverpool over. or Arsenal I thought maybe one of them we would draw and uh, it is Arsenal I think you've done me I'm speaking in Spanish speaking in English in the draw and I think it will be uh, very very difficult for our players but also a great experience uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to defend yourself <laughs> hey, I mean I've divided my time between Manchester and Barcelona for 20 years so I should be able to converse in, in Spanish even though I'm not using it every single day. Well, you can. Uh, but I still That's have, clear, yeah. yeah. I still have people coming up to me going, never knew you could speak Spanish. I'm like, how do you think I get by in life? Or people complimenting me on my Portuguese, which is a completely different uh, language. I think what got me was the fact that, you know, we talk on this podcast all the time. I've known you for donkey's years. But it was the it was like the El Andy character that came out with the real emphasis on each of the parts of the words and the syllables that, that was noteworthy. So what happened was I was told Casimiro doesn't speak English and would ask if I'd be prepared to speak to him. My wife is from his country. I've been to his city many times. When I met him, I needed to establish a relationship and trust with him. I've been told that he'd been speaking um uh, not been able to speak all day because he doesn't doesn't speak English or certainly not yeah. to, to to do it publicly. And we had a really nice chat early on. And when you say that you know you've been to someone's town, and I told him some of the um, players that I'd interviewed in his city, he was he was buzzing off it and he was sound. And we had a we had a chat. Uh, I would have liked to have been a forty minute chat, but it ended up being sixty minutes and slightly squeezed. And I think he's a bright guy. He speaks. Perfect Spanish, and as well as Portuguese, I think he will speak um, English as well. I think he'll really push himself in, into doing it, and not in an Anderson sort of way where he, you know, invents phrases. Uh, Steve McLaren is hilarious. When David Moyes went to the Basque Country, <laughs> I said to David at the day before he signed, 
Just say one word in Basque, not Spanish. Just say Iskeri Casco. Thank you. And he did. Front page of the newspapers the next day. But <laughs> he's speaking in Basque. Wow. And then I went to see him two or three times up there. And I just kept pushing the point. Don't live in a hotel. Learn Spanish. Don't live in a hotel. Learn Spanish. And it's not easy to learn Spanish while you've got to manage a top flight football team. And he didn't. One thing I'll, I'll often get criticised of, I'll defend myself here, is when you speak to people in English for like podcasts internationally, you slow down how you speak and people go, why are you changing how you speak? Well, if, if I didn't, they wouldn't be able to understand me. Yeah. Because yeah. if I spoke with a strong Manchester accent, they wouldn't have a clue what you're on about. <laughs> so, yeah, well, Casimiro, I didn't know you were going to spring that on me, but I'm glad it went well. I'm glad we did it. Look at his smiles. He was genuinely infused to be at Manchester United. And I and I was proud to, to to welcome him to Manchester United and to tell him about the stadium. Absolutely, and you did a fine job of it, certainly. And I know people around the club have said the same as well. But the real question is, does Casimiro Andy Wordsies like you this is? I, I, I did get a list of um, other Brazilian English words a few weeks ago, but then we stopped talking about them in the podcast. People keep contacting us on social media, just putting a why on everything I'm saying. So I'll dig out the list from a few weeks ago because. We've had we've got quite a lot of Brazilian listeners to this podcast, which has been great to be getting messages in from like Sao Paulo and Belo Horizonte, and uh, people say it's true we do say facey bookie. Now, if I would have known Casimiro better, I would have definitely <laughs> stirred the conversation. It's you know, which uh, social media do you use? And just just so we could try and trap him into saying. If facey bookie, but I didn't and I don't. So there you go. One for the future. One for the future, definitely. Right, okay. I think it's time that we wrap this up. But thank you so much, Andy, for being with us as always. Thank you, Carl, as well. Like I say, we'll be back after the match on Thursday night against Leicester. We'll record that podcast after the game at the King Power Stadium and it should be on your feeds by the next morning on Friday. And by then, we will know exactly what Manchester United's summer transfer window looks like. And I wonder if we'll hear George Harrison on that podcast probably not but who knows see you on the next one bye bye Athletic.